Hello, fortune seekers. Today we discuss disagreements and navigate creative differences. This week on the Megamoth Studios Super Secret Podcast. Shh. Don't tell anyone about it. Welcome back to the show, Fortune Seekers. I'm your host, soon to be heralded as the Genghis Khan of to all artists in the land, Joel Watts, joined as always by... Danny, your Marco Polo, warning you of troubles brewing in the East. All those troubles can, you know, be put aside, Danny, because on last week's episode, we discussed methods of recruiting artists and our... Oh, st- yeah. <laughs> I just got a note. Uh, we've been saying Genghis wrong. Oh, who did Dan Carlin stop yeah. by to tell you about it? Well, it wasn't exactly Dan Carlin. It was actually my father <laughs> quoting Dan Carlin. <laughs> what, 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 how does it go? How does he say it again? Genghis, I think. Gen- Genghis, Genghis Khan. I have a feeling we're about to get corrected on that. <laughs> <laughs> Genghis well, Khan. All right. Well, uh, no retakes on that. I'll just try to remember Genghis Khan, which should be easy. It's like, you know, just pronouncing it with a J, which I you know, have a preference. Also, I I want everyone to know, I know that Marco Polo did not interact with Genghis Khan. He interacted with Kublai Khan, but I just, you know, Joel puts me on the spot and I never have a good answer to these things. So, I mean, really, this is just an extension of other things you can blame him for. (laughs) (laughs) What a way to start a creative differences episode. Uh, Anyways. I don't know about that. To go (laughs) here, two step back, uh, just to remind you what happened last week, we discussed recruiting artists and a step-by-step workflow for getting the best work out of them. Um, And if you want to hear more about that or any of the other dozen topics that we've talked about on the show, please just take a look at the feed in your favorite podcasting app or on YouTube. And we'd love to hear your reactions to some of our previous shows. Yeah, Uh, and on YouTube, you get to see us. and I, I don't know if that adds to the experience or not, but uh, one, leave a comment. Let us know. Depends on who's on screen. Anyways. Yeah, that's true. While you're you there, though, I, I got I to gotta start saying this. It, it's like basically a requirement. While you're there, please like and subscribe. And if you're on a podcasting app, please just take a moment to rate and review. Five stars only. And are, are they doing this for the podcast or just for anything on the platform they find? Uh, you know what? Do it for us first. First and foremost, get your practice in with us. That's what we're saying because, you know, that's that's what design and the iterative process is about. Do something and then that way you can do it again. But yeah, better. just practice. Yeah. So practice on us. Write us a review. It can be very spotty. And then go to your other favorite shows. You know, I'm sure you follow other people. If you found us on YouTube, you follow other people on YouTube. Uh, same with the podcasting. If you haven't rated reviewed them, do that too. If you listen to their show day uh, week in, week out. In fact, I'm going to challenge myself. I'm going to rate and review my favorite shows too because you know you got to pay it forward and i'm going to do my part i'm going to rate and review you <laughs> well just let me know mid episode you, you know just you know feel free to step in on a performance critique um but speaking of that on today's episode we are going to discuss our experiences working with each other and what we have done uh when we've had creative differences in order to uh stick with each other and do what is best for the project. You know, there's, I think, you know, you imagine when you're a young kid, you, somebody, suge- you're trying to build a clubhouse, somebody suggests that there should be a sunroof and you never wanted there to be a sunroof in your clubhouse. You know, you might just, you know, take your materials and go home, you know, the classic, uh, 
you know, pick up you're your just, toys and leave. You're just walking around with materials to build, build a house without a no, sunroof. This was a project that, we, you know, my friends and I had, you know, embarked on. And, you know, this they, is a real thing. I mean, I remember I tried to build a little clubhouse with my friends at one point. I, I think what actually made it not come to fruition was more the fact that we didn't uh, that I moved uh, shortly <laughs> into the project. You know, there was a lot. So of it moving. wasn't the sunroof. There was no dispute over a sunroof. No, I think there was like I, I, I wanted a permanent structure and they were perfectly fine with like tents, you know, basically sheets hung up. But uh, I don't think that put a stop to anything. But, Ambitious, even as a young child. Yeah, I know. I, I, I just wanted, you know, the treehouse that you see in movies. Like, I'm definitely somebody who's, like, you know, wanted to live the movie lifestyle. And, you know, you see a kid with a treehouse in a movie. It's, it's always, you know, made of wood. It's up in a tree. There's a rope ladder to get up into it. We didn't have trees like that. I had to, you know... I live in Texas. Texas doesn't have that kind of tree. Uh, or not many of them versus, like, up in the... What the Midwest? I hear their trees are something to behold. The Midwest, yeah. The, Isn't that just are, like open the, plains country? <laughs> the Midwest are the, the the Great Plains. The, the Midwest. The mid. What, what am I thinking of? The mid. The, the mid, mid Atlantic. No, like that place that all the, the Northeast. Pe- not the Northeast. You know, like Wisconsin area, Michigan, maybe not Michigan. Like Chicago westward, before you get to the coast. I mean, I, I, you could make an argument that like Chicago and Ohio are like right there on the edge. But like generally when I think of Midwest, I think like Nebraska, Kansas, Iowa, okay, Missouri. I, I think I misspoke. I'm trying to remember what it's called, but everybody talks about being you know, a lot of people, especially funny people talk about being from there. My theory has always been that uh, uh, people from that area, because it's like, like I said, Wisconsin is like, you know, in my head. Beautiful. And my theory is that they have to spend so much time indoors and near each other that they just really develop much better social skills than, you know, down here in Texas where you're just out and about all the time. But speaking of being from Texas, you know, Danny, got a question of the week for you. And this one <laughs> is truly a Texas question. So hopefully the people who are listening outside of Texas can get a, a, a better idea of like what we value here in the state. So my question for you this week is, what is more Texan, Bucky's or H E B? I, I for me this is I, I love both of these places, but it for me it's not particularly close. Particularly close, I would say it is H E B, and I would choose H E B because um, it's central to Texas. It's definitely the best grocery store in the country, and it is. Uh, I don't know. You walk in there, and you know, I, I feel more at home in H-E-B than I do in my own home. I I have a hard time. I'm going to have a hard time having a disagreement with you on this one because those are all great points. I think we probably equally value both companies, but there's going to be a but here. I think Bucky's has a leg up on H-E-B in one sense. And I I should have changed my shirt. It's in other states. uh, Before I change, uh, before I ask this question, because H-E-B is wonderful it is our home away from home. I could walk into almost any HEB in the city and be able to find my way around pretty dang fast and find what I'm looking for. But Bucky's has a leg up because Bucky's has a mascot. And I would go as far <laughs> as to say that the mascot of Bucky's is like is super iconic. And there's a reason you see the Bucky shirt 
wherever you go. And there's a reason why bands and other people touring through Texas will stop at Bucky's and get pictures with the mascot outside. So By I'm that not, logic, Subway is better than Jimmy John's because they have Jared Fogle. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just going to say, when you think of a sandwich, the first thing you think of is that fat bastard, right? Well, it was, yeah, I mean, he was pretty skinny though, wasn't he? At, the, at, at one the time? point, at one point, but then he gained the weight back. Oh, he did? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and other things, but you know, you do bring up a good point. I'm not, I, what I guess I'm saying is I think technically Texas is HEB is more Texas or Texan, but I think Bucky's is going to become the icon of Texas. Bucky's has better bathrooms and Bucky's is a nice experience, but Bucky's isn't exclusively Texas. That's you true. can find Bucky's all over the country. Yeah. HEB has yet to expand. Maybe they have a couple stores elsewhere. I think they might actually have a store in Mexico now. Oh, yeah. But they are very, very, very Texas. And I will say this. HEB is all over uh, the map in Texas donating to local things. I mean, they put on the Houston Thanksgiving Day Parade often. There's lots of ways that they engage with Texas and give back to Texas. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know. I mean, what is that thing? A chipmunk? A woodchuck? A beaver? I think beaver. It's, a beaver. it's beaver yeah, nuggets. Yeah, beaver nuggets, sir. Yeah. I mean, you bring up a great point. I'm, I know that Bucky's does pretty well by their employees, which is something else HEB does. But I, I wouldn't know what Bucky's outreach is. Also, I think Bucky's pays their employees more. <laughs> I'm willing to bet that. Yeah, but I mean, at the end of the day, like if you're in Texas, you gotta, you gotta come to both. You gotta stop by both. And I, I would say, I'm biased. But I can't imagine going serious grocery shopping at anything else, you know, any other store besides HUB. I'm not sure what the, the equivalents are in other other states, but I'd love to see. Florida has, has Florida has Publix. Uh-huh. And people seem to like that. Publix is supposed to have really nice sandwiches. Okay. But they uh, reportedly are not very nice to their employees, which is a big deal. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I know shop, right? The Northeast. Uh, <laughs> if we can just name all the grocery stores. Yeah, I, the only one that uh, comes to mind that people like hold in super high regard. Is, what is it? Wawa's in the Northeast oh, yeah, area? Wawa. Yeah, I, I, I drove by a few of those when I was in uh, Pennsylvania. Okay. How, did you go into any? Um, no, I went into a couple gas stations, though. I went into a Sheets, which was kind of cool. You know what's cool about Sheets? You can get a real shot of espresso there. Really? Yeah, that, you that eventually sounds go and argue very about European. It. Well, if we're in the Northeast, which we probably will be soon, <laughs> I'll definitely stop by Sheets and hopefully a Wawa's as well. I want to. I just want to know what is Wawa's really like? Is it an HEB equivalent or is it a Bucky's equivalent? Because like, you know, uh, I don't, I don't know. Because I think it, it might it might be both. I, I mean, the Wawa's I saw I thought were gas stations, but you know. I also thought that the gas station out there called Rudders was called Butters. So you know, I don't know how reliable I am as an observer. Okay. I mean, like, yeah, when you're just passing by, all you got is the signs. But no, I think I think it, it's an internal question that will probably be asked for years to come. But, you know, depending on how the future goes, I wouldn't be surprised if either HEB or Bucky's was like running the state of Texas, you know, oh, for uh, sure in the you know near future. Uh, I, I think that that's probably how the government is going to like the government's going to dissolve at a certain point. It's just going to be the corporations running all the, all the different cities. It's going to be like city States, but with corporations, mm-hmm. you'll just work for and live, you know, in the, the compound of whatever corporation you are employed by. 
Okay. Well, maybe I should be looking at getting a job at HEB on the side just in case. Or Bucky's. Or Mega Mouse Studios. Hey, I mean, that's that's the goal here. Folks, uh, did we mention like and subscribe? Like and subscribe. I'll give that three stars, Joel. Well, so on today, uh, so for today's main topic, we wanted to talk about creative differences and how to work with each other, even when our ideas are in conflict, um, which is, you know, when you're working on a creative project, especially something that doesn't have like set rules or boundaries uh, going into it, it's like you definitely it's a matter of like taste and just what ideas like hit you and sink sink in. So you often have to find yourself realigning on things. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's a lot easier and, uh, sometimes, you know, it takes a little bit of, uh, working through. Um, and today I've actually done a little bit of research on our topic. Um, so I think that we have enough experience you did research a little bit, a minimal. I thought I, we I, had agreed that we weren't going to be doing research on anything. Uh, I think that that's unsustainable. <laughs> well, my creative difference here is that it's un unsustainable and to create, I, I, Recently, we did research on a topic going into our show, and it actually turned out to be a really good episode. So I thought maybe this is something we could do oh. more of. I was misremembering. I think I would, what I said was I would not be doing research for the show. <laughs> yes, that that's fair. I think. Well, I think it's probably better for one of us to come in completely uh, blind on it. Um, anyways, but I figure between these main topics, these main bullet points that I've, I've to gathered and you know, just the fact that we've had so much experience with each other, we could probably, you know, come up with like different scenarios that we've gone through to illustrate these. So for, ex you know, just to get us started and to give you an example, um, one of the suggested ways of dealing with creative re differences uh, was to be open and respectful in your communication, you know, um, basically encourage open and honest discussion amongst the team members, the team here, mostly being you and I create a Eesh. safe, Ish. Ish. I feel, I feel, I feel like I'm already failing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, to just to add a pile onto your failures, you're supposed to create a safe environment where team members feel comfortable to expressing their ideas and concerns. And uh, damn it. <laughs> ensure that everyone listens actively and respectfully to each other's viewpoints. Um, so on this one, I mean, this, this, for us, I really do think comes with time. We, we have time on our side because we've worked together so many times before. And in fact, um, you're going to hear more about how we've worked together in the past on a little sideshow that we're going to be doing about our uh, film, our film projects. I believe we called it Film Foibles. Well, I don't think we agreed to that. I okay. know that you've referred to it that multiple times. <laughs> but uh, those are... Those, I want to consult, consult wordhippo.com. Okay, well, why don't you go ahead and do that? And while I do that... Uh, so, but we know, we know, like we've, we've been there. We've crossed, we've crossed the lines with each other, I'm sure in the past. And we've, we know what is not going to be productive. Like you, you, there's certain ways that you can push your co, uh, your collaborators and your creative um, partners in ways that will get them going, it, you know, you, but there's other ways that you could push them that will completely make them shut down. Like, it, you know, for example, I'm very much not somebody who responds well to derogatory words, you know, in, you know, insults or anything like that. I think some people you get under their skin in the right way and you start, you know, calling them, you know, bad, suggesting, you know, suggesting that they might be stupid or something that might cause them to, you know, they're, that might hit their pride in such a way that it actually elevates them to work harder. 
I am not that person. You start throwing that stuff around, and I sh I shut down. I I just I divest. Um, I don't know if divest is the right. <laughs> <laughs> and I would, you just dis you just discharge all your investments. <laughs> well, you know, I'll, I'll yeah, but like in in like my uh, how much I'm like involved in a project, you know, it's like I, I don't want to be around those en energies. Um, and also I, I think I also create this by like, if I am making a really off the wall pitch, which I think I need to from time to time, like sometimes I just get an idea in my brain. I know it's not a, a great idea. I know it's one that you're not going to probably want to pursue, but you know, I'll just say, Hey, I know this is, I know this is wild. I know this is, is probably not a road we want to go down, but I just need to say it to get it out. Otherwise it's going to keep rattling in my brain. Yeah. So, uh, I will, you know, I'll be, I'll often preface my ideas with, you know, with like what level of, of seriousness I am about them. I try to do the same thing. I mean, like sometimes I'll come to you and be like, Hey, I don't, I'm not saying that this is a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> no, I appreciate it when you say that. It gets me prepared. Yeah. Cause like, I feel like if I don't say that, then you like are working really, really hard to evaluate whether or not you want to shoot me down. <laughs> <laughs> where it's like if, if it's like I come to you and I'm like I haven't thought this through you're like okay this is an easy one to just be like eh we're gonna pass <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean because I will I, I think I'm, I'm pretty earnest uh, or what what uh, what's the word the new uh, since I'm sincere I'm sincere in trying to at least uh, you know like consider everybody's ideas it comes in so I don't want to just go out of my way to like you know, gut reaction, say that's a bad idea. I want to like almost benefit of the doubt and try to make it into an idea that can work, which has its benefits also could, you know, waste a lot of time, uh, or cause bad ideas to get through. So I think, you know, it's always nice to know when you're not super serious or you just think, you know, when, yeah. mm -hmm. no, I, I, I think that that is a, 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 a true dynamic that we have. I think oftentimes like one of us will, give an idea and then the other one will kind of like add a little something to it, maybe tweak it a little bit and then throw it back. And we just kind of like, we'll do this where it's like very, very rarely in my experience that ideas that get to whatever the, you know, final iteration is can be like pointed to and be like, this idea is mine and mine alone. This idea is Joel's and Joel's alone. Um, and I think that's good, right? Like, I think, you know, well, first off, like hopefully <laughs> if you're a partner with somebody on a creative endeavor, you like them and can respect them <laughs> and, um, and that you want to co-author with them, you know, like, I don't know. I mean, anyway. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, sometimes when you have one of those off the wall ideas between the, I think between the two of us, like it, it is fun to like walk it down a path so far and see if there's something there. There's, there's just, We'll get to it later, but you need to you need to allow yourself time to, you know, uh, to, to entertain those ideas, even if it's just for a few minutes or like, you know, a better part of a day. You know, sometimes there's a, the adage of sleep on it, but we'll get more into that here because I have a very structured list of things to talk about. And that comes later. <laughs> OK. So, all right. Well, so so the next big um, way of helping, you know, give yourself a uh, system for working through creative differences is to clearly define project goals and objectives. Now, this is like, you know, ensuring that the entire team understands what you're trying to get to. Like, you know, if there's a huge difference between building, like say a prototype car that you're just showing off for fun versus building a car that you have to mass produce 
and get you know and has to be driven by millions of people across the world and you have to have a shared vision as to what that final goal is so you can get everybody aligned on the creativity that they're producing for it because an idea that will work for a one-off car that you can drop a lot of money into is not going to be the same that uh you know it's not going to have the same um validity as you know a like i said a car that needs to be like mass produced so i i think that Let's see. I feel like I'm, I'm losing the plot here a little bit on the car analogy. Okay. Well, what, what are we <laughs> well the, the idea of being like, okay, so we're, we're making a card game. I'm sure that if I, you know, if we weren't aligned on making a card game and we were just making a game still, and the game could be most more, mostly anything. If I were to come to you and be like, I have an idea for the game board. You know, if we're just making a game in general, you might be like, okay, well, we haven't thought about putting a game board in this game, but maybe this game could use a game board. What's your idea? Versus like, if I came to you now, today, and said, hey, Danny, I think we should have a game board. I would be like, I think we should have an intervention. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's because we, have, we know what our, our, our uh, project goals and objectives are. So, um, and I just think like, yeah, this is a good way to always bring it back to the basics of, the overall project um, that we have, you know, it's like when we have a new idea, we're, we're venturing into a new territory. We still remember what we, we, we agreed to start this game doing and what we want the game to feel like. So we can always judge it, the new ideas and how they're developing based on like what our initial objectives were and make sure we're aligned on that. And I think that's where, uh, you know, the concepts that we've talked about in the past, like uh, minimum viable products, come into place. Um, yeah. I mean, goals and product and prod, uh, goals and objectives can also change over the course of a project. I mean, one of the things that you have to remain fluid on is like, okay, like this is what, what our goals and objectives are up to this point, but like maybe that changes, right? Like maybe we are going to see something different when we get to this next Vista, right? Yeah. It's a trip. You're, you're, you're getting up to the mountain and you think you can project what's on the other side of the mountain, but maybe you find out that it's not just a valley. It's an actually, it's an ocean and you know, we need a boat, not new shoes, you know? So, <laughs> exactly. Just trying to match your car analogy. <laughs> Thank you. No, that, that was pretty esoteric as well. So I appreciate that. Um, I, I, you know, I'm not sure if you want this one out, th out there, but we've often talked Probably about not. like, um, the, you know, you have this concept of, you know, because we're making a product that we want to sell people, what make, what makes you want to open your wallet? What makes you want to buy it immediately? And that's something that we kind of come back to. If like an idea is, if like we're teetering on, is this idea good enough? Is this really like what we want, uh, the final product to look like, you know, especially now that we're actually, you know, getting art and designs that are going to be the final product, you know, we can always go back to that as the a guiding principle. It's like, okay, look at this, this, this design. Does it make you want to open your wallet? Does it make you want to buy this, your game? And we've had, we've had our designer come back with, you know, designs that were just like, my goodness, he makes me want to buy my own game. Same with, yeah. uh, <laughs> we were working with a marketing person and we hope to have them on the show soon and they will write us copy. And it's just like, he's telling us about our own game and it makes us want to be, we're, we want to get in line. I know it's a weird feeling to be like, I want to buy this, but I'm also making it. <laughs> Look, I'll be honest though. Yeah. Look, uh, all jokes aside, I think the game is very good. I'm very happy with the game. People who play the game think it's very good. So even though I'm excited and I, I'm like, oh man, this is great copy and this is great design. 
I do feel like, you know, we are bringing our component to the, the party that lives up to the hype and the, you know, the beauty, you know, so to speak. Yeah, no, I think we've we've alluded to it in the past. I don't know if we've ever deep dive, but there became a point where the game got so good after we had like sort of refined it and had a lot of long conversations. And we reached a point where we were like, oh, now we kind of owe it to the game for this to be as good as it can be. Um, and and if you want to learn more about uh, how good our game is, why don't you join us on our Discord server so we yeah. can teach it to you. So if you're watching this episode and you haven't played the game yet and you're just like, how oh, come on, guys, can it really be that good? Come judge for yourself. We'll, we'll yeah. teach it to you. Just pop on and in. We'll take your criticism, your feedback. Yeah. Like if you break the game or you point out something, like we're, we're all heirs. Like we want to make the best possible game. And if you're the one who tells us how to do that, we'll give you a high five virtually. Mm-hmm. We're not going to come to your house. I'm sure there's I mean, a high five in the right circumstances. Oh yeah, if you have like if you have a local game store that you love that you want us to show the game off at, we'll come to your local game store and we'll give you a high five. Yeah, and we might even sleep on your couch. <laughs> Please, I'm just joking. We we we, uh, we only sleep in five star hotels. Yeah, I got neck problems and it requires <laughs> a five star service in order to uh, you know facilitate. Um, so this is very similar, uh, possibly could have been condensed into the last one, but you know, you also have to establish creative guidelines. Um, so creative gu- guidelines would be principles that align with the project objectives. Like we had said before. Um, and it kind of like, yeah, like I basically yet again, this is about being able to have points of comparison to evaluate and compare, you know, these different creative solutions that everybody's going to be bringing to the table. Um, and when I thought about this and when I was reading about it, I was like, well, we have an ultimate, um, I guess I wouldn't call it a yardstick, but a foundation that we like to use, which is called first principles. And this is something that we have talked ourselves out of ideas that we've been pursuing or uh, for, you know, I don't want to say months. We haven't gone. I don't think we've had any ideas that we've trailed for months. But if we get into a disagreement um, as to like a direction something's going I think one of my favorite things for you to say is let's go back to first principles, you know, let's, you know, and it's sort of, like I said, it's reminding yourselves, what was this project? You know, why do we embark on it in the first place? Um, You know, what are the tropes of the card game genre and how are we either playing into them or subverting them? And if we, if we come to a point where we realize that what we're doing is really off, off the beaten path and we don't know why, we can always kind of go back to those first principles to like re, you know, set it back down on a solid foundation. Yeah, I think one of the th- really powerful things about first principles thinking is like, especially when you're doing something like designing a card game where there's a ton of tropes out there, there's a lot of precedent, and there's just a way you do certain things, right? So you don't think through everything because it's like, well, we know what size cards are going to be, probably. We know. Uh, that there's going to be art on them and there's going to be text boxes, there's going to be borders, there's going to be costs, there's going to be all these different things. But the reality is that some of those things aren't necessary depending on what you're doing, right? And it takes a lot of, um, sometimes you have to stop and ask yourself like, okay, we're stuck on this. We're pursuing it in this way. Why are we pursuing it in this way? Oh, because of X, Y, and Z. Okay, but is X, Y, and Z really true of this situation? Um, You know, the cardbacks was a good example of when we stopped uh, to reevaluate 
with uh, first principles because for the longest time we said we need universal card backs for the three different deck types. You know, each deck type will have its own card back, but it has to be a card back that works for this set and every set we do in the future. And we were, you know, because that's what Magic does, right? That's what all card games seems to do because you care about players being able to mix the cards together and play from different sets and not being able to identify what uh, goes with what set and then be able to identify, oh, that's a dead protector because I realize that's from Dragons of Cards, Tarkir or whatever. So our, our, our stop moment was, hey, like, okay, what are we doing? We are making a self-contained product, a meta in a box. The cards are meant to be played together. Could people mix them? Sure. But reality is the cards are meant to be played in a closed environment. And as long as all the backs are the same for the closed environment, that's not a problem. And if people are going to play with them across sets in the future, odds are they're probably going to sleeve them. And so the back, the backs probably won't matter as much if they're sleeved. So that was a situation where we were able to make the right choice for our game and really make something that was bold and worked for the set that we were working on that we were really happy with, where we would have spent a lot more money, a lot more time banging our heads against the wall, trying to find something universal, which maybe we would have liked or maybe we wouldn't have. Um, but that was a, an example of us taking something that we just assumed was true, something we had to do, went back to first principles and evaluated and decided, no, actually, we can do this differently. No, that was a great that that was a great to, uh, point there, Danny. Because yeah, I think the thing that threw us off when we first saw the card backs that our designer uh, provided to us was, uh, especially threw me off, was there was certain technology on the back because he made a very literal card back, and we can get into that too. Because I, I had to come up, I had to kind of break through a few different um, preconceived notions, if you will, <coughs> going into the design of the card backs when we first saw them, because let's face it, they were good. You can see them now. We've stuck with them. We had some minor changes from the first time we saw them. We added a few elements and cut back on some other ones, but they were very, uh, how should I say, uh, leaning towards photorealistic. And I always came from the school of, I like the more abstract, you know, designery elements, you know, nothing, nothing like, you wouldn't see an apple on the back of a card. All right. I wouldn't, you know, for an example, an apple, uh, you would, I wouldn't want to see that on the back of a card. You know, I would want to see it represented, you know, if you needed an apple on the back of the card, that it would be represented by shape or by color, but not like the two coming together to create a very literal looking apple. And that's what our designer gave us. And it took me a moment, I would say the better part of a day, just sitting with the card backs and looking at them and kind of, you know, you talking to me about them uh, because they were so, uh, there was such a, a, like I said, photorealistic, literal uh, interpretation of these things. But I, what I eventually came, came to was this might not be totally my taste or my taste up until this point, but ta talent went into the production of these. And while they aren't quite what I was expecting, I still have to admit that they look so good. And at the end of, you know, so I relinquished, I, you know, I, I think I was nearly at the point of telling the designer to go back to the drawing board and you really liked them. You, you saw the, you, I think that was one of those times where you were like, I'm open my wallet. I'm opening it so wide. <laughs> the yeah, money's falling I was just out. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. I already bought this product. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> so, but I think you I mean, and sometimes, and that's, that, that's a way that creative differences uh, 
can be solved. Uh, two things are give it time, li live with it for a while, even if you don't like it now or it kind of offended some sensibility that you had in the back of your head that you weren't even aware of or you, you couldn't articulate until you saw it. You know, give it some time, sleep on it. Your, your opinion will probably change a little. The more you look at something, the more you just, you know, get used to it, especially if it's good. If it is good, it's just going to stand the test of time. So, um, yeah, so I think it was just you, you were, you had to play a little bit of psychologist with me or coach, if you will, like kind of like, no, man, it's, it's good. Just, you know, just look at it again, look at it again. I just needed some time to think about it and sort of like, you know, nudge it a little, you know, like be like, well, it is good, but it could be a little bit better. Like once I, once I, once I stopped thinking about how it could be different and thought about how it could be better, then we were able to push that conversation forward. And it took me, you know, like I said, it was like, you know, the better part of a day thinking about it while driving around at work and then, you know, sleeping on it. And I finally, because I think another thing that happened was I opened it up on my phone screen and I couldn't like really appreciate them. So I like got to my computer and actually opened it up on the computer screen and like really looked deeply at them. Um, so, you know, that's, that's just one example of a time when we had a creative difference that, you know, I would say, you know, just giving it time worked out pretty darn well. Yeah. But I mean, one of the things from my perspective was, look, I, I felt, I felt like it was the right thing. I felt very, very strongly that it was the right decision, but at the same time, I didn't want to just be like, this is the right decision. We have to go with it. I wanted to be like, Hey, I really think this is the right decision. Please take the time with it. And, you know, I remember, you know, the, the, you know, the, the back and forth and the conversations and the thinking about it. Um, and I just really respect the fact that you like one of the cool things I've seen from this process, not just with this, the cards and the design, but also just with the art is, you know, you have become more and more uh, skillful at processing what people are giving you for feedback, giving them actionable feedback. Um, I think right at the beginning, right, we were both very new to it. And it was kind of like, you know, we had all these ideas, we didn't even know where to start in terms of giving feedback. But once you start doing it, and you get in the groove of it, you're like, okay, this is the right amount of feedback. This is how we're going to give the feedback. And I feel like you've gotten very, very good at it. And a lot of times, like, I'll not pay as close attention to some of the, the, the designer art details, because I know you pay so close attention to it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's definitely a skill that I've always wanted to develop. And this is actually given me a chance to, to work on it. Um, and learning the, you know, and like you said, I think you've, you've given me that feedback before where it's like, I present you an email that I want to send to our designer or to an artist. And you're just like, this is a lot, <laughs> you know, cause I'll, I, I will go, I, I will go philosophical and start talking about, you know, the, you know, the elements, uh, you know, the masculine and feminine and the tarot. Um, and you're just like, he just needs to hear that he needs to change the border a little bit. Yeah. I feel like there was at least one email that you gave me to read that was like 500 words and I like cut it down to 20. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's collaboration right there. That's, that's in its purest form. Um, and you know, and like, uh, we do that too with the art briefs. It's like, usually one of us will do a rough draft. The other person will either re, you know, take that rough draft and rewrite it from the beginning or just add a little bit of, of spike, you know, some paprika to it. Uh, and that will, you know, you, you know, it's usually that sort of back and forth that really gets us there. But we uh, don't end up in the weeds like stuck uh, too much. And part of the reason why is because, you know, we do establish creative guidelines. We do align frequently 
and have a clear sense of what our objectives are. So oftentimes when we see something, we're evaluating it by very similar similar criteria. Obviously, everyone has their own perspective, subjective. His version of, of X is different than my version of X. But because we talk about it so much, oftentimes we'll have very similar feedback or be able to like understand why the other person's calling out what they're calling out. Um, that goes back to communication, objectives, alignment, and all of that. It's super important. If, if you can't do that with your creative partner, it's, it's maybe a sign that maybe this isn't the best fit for creative projects. Like you should feel like you can work with your creative partner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like if, if you're getting, if you're at all getting stonewalled, like that, you know, like red flag, you know, in a, in a, the relationship that your creative partner should at least be, even if they think your idea is God awful, they should at least be hearing you out. Um, and, and trying to see, like I said earlier, like, you know, uh, trying to see the, uh, the benefit or trying to find a way of making it work. That's, that's what it really comes down to now. What find you know, talking about throwing out wild ideas, another great strategy for, you know, getting aligned on your creativity or, uh, you know, in creative disputes is to go through a brainstorming and idea generation phase. And I mean, this obviously the always is usually done really at the front end of a project. And uh, the two of us are actually working on, we don't want to get too into it, but we're working on the new cards that we're going to introduce into the game for multiplayer. So this is definitely a time when brainstorming and idea generation is key because you, you got a, you got a new concept that isn't totally molded yet. It's so much easier to like change it completely. I would say like the way the ideas work in this game to to give an analogy or the uh, with how I think ideas have been working in the game making space is, you know, you get your material and you put, you get your idea, you put it in the oven, it gets really, really hot, you know, and then you bring it out and you can start forging it. And while before it cools down, you can still change a horseshoe into an ax head. But at a certain point, it's you're you have to like dedicate to one or the other or else you're going to have a mess on your hands. You're going to have to start basically from scratch again. So uh, I guess we're now in that phase where we're either heating up the material, the idea, or we're starting to hammer away at it to turn it into what it's going to be. Um, it feels like we're hammering, but it's not clear that we're going to be able to use what we're hammering. Um, but I mean, it does feel nice to be back in game design mode because one of the, I mean, we both made X Seekers of Fortune because we wanted to design a game. We had a lot of fun doing it, but then we hit a point where we stopped really designing. It was like playtesting, tuning, and then like little by little, the amount of design work we were doing just like vanished. And then it's just been like business, admin, marketing, promotion, more playtesting, talking to manufacturers, all this stuff. And both of us have been kind of scratching our necks being like, when do we get to design something again? So being able to go back to the R&D lab and start playing with new toys and having a broken landscape that has so many problems to fix has been really nice and exciting. Um, I did want to say one thing about brainstorming and idea generation, something that I believe in and really think people should consider using, which is all stupid ideas. And what I mean by all stupid ideas is that a lot of times when we're in a room with a group of people, people have ideas they don't express because what you said at the beginning, they're afraid they're going to be called stupid. People are going to ridicule them. People are going to think less of them. And then they're going to lose all credibility. So they would rather be silent or worse, 
assume just the role of critiquing other people's ideas. Ooh, ooh, yeah. I always like to start my brainstorming sessions with the people I work with by saying all stupid ideas. I want all the stupid ideas. No matter how stupid it is, we want to talk about it. There's nothing that we want to filter here. And I come to you all the time and say, I have a stupid idea because because I, I, I recognize that some percentage of stupid ideas, even if it's 1%, are truly actually great ideas. And they get missed because people are afraid to share their stupid idea. So share your stupid ideas and make an environment that's safe for other people to share their stupid ideas because really the stupidest idea is that you're going to prevent yourself from hearing the great idea because you're afraid it's a stupid idea. Even more so, and I've seen this happen on more than one occasion, you're going to prevent the great idea from happening because the great idea will be sparked by the stupid idea. Yes. Like that. I, I wish I had a great hot in my hand example right now, but I just know I've, I've seen it happen before. And it's usually because you forget this, that the idea was like came from a stupid idea. You just remember, you just remember the great idea. I mean, I would highly recommend to everybody write down all of your ideas because you're going to forget them. But I will say that the good ideas tend to stick around in your head longer well, then, you shared that uh, photo of you holding up all the names that we brainstormed. Yeah. Because there were a lot of dumb ideas there. Oh, yeah. I, we, oh, I got it right here. Because we put everything on there. We were would, like. Would you like, like a random one? <laughs> yeah. Give give us a random one. Here, the, these are up. just a handful, a sampling of what X Seekers of Fortune might have been called if uh, Joel and I had stopped at a different point in the process. <laughs> okay. So we got Steak X. What? High stake, yeah, high stakes, <laughs> which I wrote down below cooking simulator. I think probably because <laughs> I think for a while there I was trying to do something with uh, the cross idea. So stakes slash claims, mites and wits, feed X, dotted line, dotted line, <laughs> yeah, uh, dragons X. Because I got like really into the idea. Like, one thing I did was I looked at a, a map, you know, like an old timey map. And I was like, well, there's dragons on here. And that's like where you'd be heading towards league leagues of danger. I was still pretty into that in some ends. All these and all of these, like when I wrote them down, it's like that could be it. Uh, but, you know, and, and it's it's a long it's a long list. I just sat down one day and just wrote every idea that uh, we had talked about and any derivative I thought about coming off of it. And you know what is not on here? I don't see anything about seekers. I don't see anything about fortune. It's I, I like I said, I think I've said it in the past is you have to wring out all the ideas from your head to make room for the good one to come in sometimes. And that's what we I were remember doing. when X seekers of fortune was verbalized for the first time, we were literally sitting outside my house at like 11 o'clock at night on the patio drain talking about how like impossible it was and then like one of us threw the name out and then the other one's like yeah yeah that might be it <laughs> i think yeah i think we had the idea that night and we did agree that sounded like something and then it was like the next day we were driving somewhere in a car and you're i think you were like so x seekers of fortune and it was just like yeah that's it that's it like you know some we did the same thing with megamoth where we said the name megamoth you know uh studios and then we talked another 30 minutes about other possible names and we just realized we kept coming back to Megamoth. It was like, that's the one that's sticking with me. That's the one that I, I keep thinking about. I can, you know, we started like talking about what the logo could be and everything. Oh, that reminds me. Yeah. Uh, after the podcast asked me about my, my Megamoth idea. Oh, <laughs> well, you can just say it right now. We'll completely it out. <laughs> oh, I don't want to run the risk. Okay. This cool. is top secret. 
top Brain secret, storming. not super secret, top secret. Ooh, yeah, that's that's not for you folks out there. Don't don't worry, Will. We'll we'll talk about it on the recording after the episode, so you can hear it because you have top secret clearance. Okay, well, maybe okay. a, well, <laughs> maybe, maybe a difference right there. Trying to derail us from my nonsense. <laughs> when, did, when did Will? When did Will get top secret clearance? Um, but yeah, I mean, and that's and something you said there was. Uh, you said you could easily become the person that either doesn't share ideas or only critiques ideas. You probably want to create a structure, a healthy structure for critiques. So you should actually make your critiques like into like a, a, a session of their own, or you should know you're going into critique mode. So that way people, uh, you know, are prepared because we've realized, you know, between the two of us, we've, we've hardened a little bit, but a lot of people, their creative decision-making is something that is very close to the chest. Uh, and I mean that more like, as like, it hurts the heart to hear people critique their ideas. And you, if you've been a creative before, you've been in a room where somebody's getting their ideas cre cre uh, critiqued and they instantly just go into fight mode. Like they, they're guarded. They don't want to hear it. They, they criticize the criticisms. They have a, they at least pretend like they have a reason for every decision they made. So in order to avoid this, it's probably a good idea to, you know, start creating specific like rules of engagement for critiquing ideas and, you know, really honing in on constructive criticism um, and, and finding the best ways to deliver that. So one thing that we do that, especially early on when we were like, we've talked about before the creation of the card templates for the uh, prototype cards. And the way that a lot of those came about was what I call rapid iteration, where I was sitting down at the design program. You were either on the phone with me or you were in a situation where I could text message you and you could get back to me very quickly. And I would just, you know, you know, make a design, uh, uh, like change a color, save the file, send you the copy of the file and get ready to hear what you had to say so that we could go back and forth really quickly. Yeah, I mean, that was super effective. I think oftentimes when people have a hard time hearing critiques of their work, it's because they are confusing their work with themselves and they take it as a personal critique of themselves, of the ideas they have, of their identity, all these different things. And this is where it's important to ask yourself, why are you embarking on this creative journey? Are you doing it because you want to uh, prove something about yourself? that you want to show the world something about yourself and the way that people consume what you're creating is going to be a reflection of how they see you. Or is it because you have a vision for something that you believe should be out in the world and you see the specs that that thing should have, you have an idea of why it's needed and you're going to work really, really hard to make that thing happen. And then when people give you criticism, if it's criticism that says, Hey, you're not accomplishing the thing that you're setting out to accomplish, you say, okay, all right, I'm hearing that this isn't doing the thing that I want. I'm more concerned about it doing the thing that I want than how this reflects on me as a person. And then you take the actionable uh, feedback and turn that into a better product. That doesn't mean that all critiques that you get are going to be useful. You know, this is not, you're going to get bad feedback and learning to distinguish between feedback that is bad because the person just doesn't know what they're talking about and feedback that is good, but maybe the suggestion they're giving you isn't the right suggestion for implementation. Joel, you've talked about this a lot. You, I think you often said, I mean, you're the person that I, I, I credit with implanting this meme in my brain, which is like, 
people often know what the problem is, but the solutions they offer are wrong. Yeah. You're more, you're probably more in love with your concepts, uh, and you've put a lot more time into it. So you will be the one who knows the, the fix most of the time, but they, they know something's wrong. And as long as you trust them that they have taste and they're, you know, they're not, you know, I, I'm <laughs> looking for an analogy here. You probably wouldn't want, um, uh, I don't, actually, let's not even go into analogy. I feel like any analogy I offer here will be insulting, but as long as you know, like this person <laughs> has taste in this, in this field, they're here for a reason. I came to them for a reason, or we're working together for a reason and they have a problem or they, they see a problem. They are probably right to some extent. Now you, you know, you could first ask yourself, is this a problem I'm willing to have? And sometimes, you know, great works have been made that have like problems built into them. Um, but other times, most of the time you should be like, okay, they, they're identifying the problem and let's not, let's not totally listen to their solutions necessarily. Um, I recently did a play test with uh, somebody that's uh, very special to us for their game. And I may be almost to a fault. I told them, I just basically avoided telling them how to fix anything. I just told them what stuck out to me as sore notes and sore, sore moments that, you know, might need to be worked out. Maybe they, maybe they wanted to get more, you know, honest, like, you know, ideas coming to them or not. I still don't know, but I just hope that what I said resonated and that they are, you know, looking for ways to rectify or solve those things. But I'm, um, but at this point, I'm like basically hesitant to offer ideas because I feel like that's you know I'm trying to live by my own advice and only vocalize what isn't working. Yeah, and I think this is something that we'll go into in more depth in a future episode that is solely about how to give and receive notes. Um, I don't want to go too too deep here because we're really just kind of doing a surface. But there's a lot uh, that can be gained by learning how to both give effective notes and receive them. Yeah. Another, uh, you know, and another thing that they often say when it comes to critiques is what is it called? The compliment sandwich. I mean, yeah. I think there's, there's definitely like a, a better, there's, there's probably a more structured place for you to full blown delve into the compliment sandwich. If you have time, you know, it's like when you have time to prepare, you might want to present it that way in a room where you're rapid firing, uh, ideas back and forth. You might not need to preface everything with a compliment, but it usually is a good idea to like say, this is what is working. And I like this. I had a little bit of trouble with that. Maybe you look into like a way to fix that. But overall, the experience I had was fulfilling because of this, you know, put, you know, put your critique right in between like two compliments as though not to feel like you're just shooting down their ideas. You, you're showing like, I respect what you've brought to the table. Um, so then the, uh, what, well, speaking of that, like, you know, showing off your ideas and receiving criticism, and we just talked about it. We had a play, I had a play test session with somebody, uh, who, uh, we work with and, uh, that's something that they wanted because they wanted to get external input on their games and on their game. And they did a play test session for it in, you know, external, uh, somebody, you know, they, there's that old saying, you can't see the forest for the trees. We've gotten so deep into the design of our game. Sometimes we even forget, like we're so held up on such a small little nuance of rules or uh, one single card just isn't working the way we want it to. And you can go in a, a little crazy forgetting that 
your game is still good overall. So, you know, that's something you want to do is bring in outside people. Um, have Do you remember a time that we've specifically brought in somebody from the outside that you were looking for their opinion? You were looking to just get a read on the game? I mean, early on, it was Pat. We talked, we've talked about Pat a lot. Yeah. Um, his, you know, because at the very early start, you know, we wanted to make a game that we felt like scratched the itch of people who played magic gave you some of those tcg experiences and pat was someone who played a lot of tcgs and was somebody who was very good at them and someone we respect and so hearing what he had to say meant a lot because if we didn't have pat because again pat's a good friend of ours but he's also the target market and he's not shy about giving us critique (laughs) (laughs) that's the other thing he's a contrarian (laughs) so you don't we say. knew that he would poke us where we needed to be poked. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, as time went on, we started to want to seek out different types of people's feedback because it's like, okay, cool, our our friend likes it. Now let's find somebody who plays TCGs that isn't as friendly or let's find someone who doesn't play TCGs and see how they react to it. And, uh, you know, as you're trying to, to go out there in the world, I think one of the great things about external input is it helps you better get a sense of who your game is for, uh, potentially. Because if you have a target market in mind, which you should, your game might work perfectly for them, but you might discover that there are other people who the game appeals to, you know, or, you know, you might feel like you have an idea of who your market is and it turns out that they're not your market, but through playtesting, you realize there's actually a different group of people who like it. They like mm-hmm. this element of it. Yeah. So then you start tuning the game to that element to be the best possible experience for those people. For us with Executors of Fortune, that didn't really happen. We had a very clear vision of what we were making and we were able to land the plane, so to speak. Mm-hmm. We're really on a roll today with weird analogies. Especially we ones, planes, not especially one, but. travel analogies. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think in analogies, so it does. It makes sense. I'm starting to rub off on you as my creative partner. You're definitely picking up on my way of uh, thinking. But I feel I, infected for sure. <laughs> but somebody I think was really important that I don't want to leave un, uh, uh, uncalled out here because he was, I think this was important for the game that we were trying to create. Now, to give you an idea, I think when Danny and I started talking about this game, we were like, "This, we want the game to be like, if I'm a Magic player and I'm going to go and see my family, I'm not going to bring three, D, three EDH decks, even though it would be great to play a three-player you know, EDH game. Because if my family doesn't know how to play Magic, I'm not going to catch them up. But we were like, it would be cool to have a game that you could bring to your family and probably teach them pretty quickly so everybody could start playing. Um, and, uh, you started play testing very early on. In fact, I think we've talked about like Nathan and Patrick being the first play testers, but I might argue that your dad, you might've play tested with him before you play tested. We play tested with anybody else. I, I don't remember the exact timeline, but your dad like early on played the game a few times with you and gave you some solid feedback. And I think knowing yeah. that he was into it or the very least he could click with it and play it was very important. Yeah, absolutely. He played early on. He played the game before it really was a functional game, but understood what we were going for, saw potential in it, but was very clear with us that it wasn't working. <laughs> it wasn't working. And it wasn't necessarily his his cup of tea, but I think just the fact that he could he would be willing to play it with his son and he could play it with his son. Because could you have shown your dad even like the most basic magic deck and think he would get into it? 
No, I mean, I had tried a couple times over the years and it just was kind of felt, always felt like a non-starter. Even Lucas, who is very into X-Seekers of Fortune and probably plays it at, at the highest level anyone's playing it right now, uh, was intimidated by Magic and has never really been able to get into Magic just because of the pure amount of information he felt like he needed to onboard. He's totally capable of it. He's proven that with X-Seekers of Fortune. It's just that... He hasn't <laughs> mm-hmm. because, you know, it just seems too overwhelming. Yeah, I think I think our game does a better job on the hand holding teach factor, uh, you know, early on. And it, like you feel like, you know, half the game before you like really get into the weeds. One of the compliments we got recently, I mean, I don't even know that it was meant as a compliment, but I took it as a great compliment was somebody had tried the game for the first time. They're like, you know, after playing about two hands you feel like you or like was it two hands or two games i forget who this was oh yeah 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 two, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was like two rounds and you yeah feel like, it was like basically it was like two one and a half yeah yeah once you once you've gone around the the, the basic play loop a couple of times it's like you feel like you know how to play the game then it's just like but how do i play this as well as possible yeah there's a big gulf <laughs> there it's like play playing optimally is then the next challenge um but i think um Another example, though, of getting external input, and this is a small one. It's not necessarily the same as full-blown criticism, but every now and then when we get a new design in, like a new artwork or uh, like a card design, and I just want to kind of get a sniff test from people out and about, I'll just go up to a coworker with it on my phone. And I'll just be like, hey, take a look at this. And I'll just hold it up on my phone. And I just look at their face to get their reaction. And like, you know, some, you know, I'm looking for just anything that's like, you know, is like a spark and, you know, and any reaction is better than no reaction. So sometimes I go up to my, uh, my GM of my store, who's a former, you know, former Marine, you know, man's man kind of guy, you know, talks, talks about like throwing around a piece of big log as his workout in his backyard. Uh-huh. And like, this I showed is the guy him, who, who's killed all those squirrels. I don't know about the squirrel killing. I don't remember anything about that. Uh, uh, okay. I'll try to remember who is the squirrel killer is. <laughs> okay. But he, you know, I show him and I'm just like, I'll show him a design. Sometimes he goes, Hmm. Like, you know, he just gets, he just like, he looks interested. It, it piques his interest. One time there's a, uh, a older, like just above middle age, but not old, old lady who I work with. And she speaks predominantly Spanish. And I showed her the artwork for Blade Edge Bargain. And she had the classic mother reaction of, ooh, I don't like that. And I was like, <laughs> that's even better. <laughs> that's the best reaction we could get. I want, I want, I do want some grandmas to be like, Oh, I don't like that at all. Please get that out of my face. Why is there violence happening to that priest? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, uh, you know, and you you want that because she is definitely not our audience, but her grandchildren would be, and they would probably get a kick out of playing around with something that their grandma does not care that much for. Um, but, you know, to get external input, I think that, you know, the list that we have here um, really leans into... Um, game making specifically because you definitely need to get prototyping and testing done. And this is definitely the method that we have the most experience with on this list. You, we just created, uh, we created the, the most, uh, the easiest to create version of the game that we could at any juncture uh, for our needs and then started testing it first and foremost. And this is, I mean, this is what Mark Rosewater himself would tell you to do. If you want to make a game, you got to put it on, you got to, 
created into reality. It needs to be a material reality in some way so you and the person you're sitting across from can agree on the terms. You know, you could sit down, and I've done it plenty of times. I mean, this this uh, sketchbook is filled with game ideas, but a lot of them I haven't actually done any sort of prototyping on, so they might as well be ether, you know, like like the like I could have a great idea for like a late game concept. And if I haven't, you know, if the opening of the game doesn't work because I haven't thought through that. And the only way you're really going to think through it is if you, you know, prototype it and you show it to somebody and it creates a problem and you have to solve that problem. We try to do a lot of fixing in our head and mm. we did a lot of work with the cards that we're introducing to the game right now in the test environment and the reality is even when you've played as many hours of the game as as we have and have spent so many t so many hours thinking about the game sometimes you still don't fully really understand how the text is going to translate into the gameplay experience and that's something that i find really exciting it's kind of like hey i have this recipe let's see what it tastes like you're not really sure you think it sounds good you like all the ingredients it feels like it fills, you know, it scratches an itch of some kind, but then you put it into effect and you taste it again with the analogies, <laughs> the, the game, it plays differently than you expect. <laughs> and, you know, that's, that's the cool thing about prototyping. And it's a good way because you don't want to get stuck in the trap where you're like, this is a perfect example. How often is it like, you are unsure of something that I suggest or I'm unsure of something you suggest, but rather than saying, no, I don't want to do that. Or you saying, no, I don't want to do that. We say, okay, cool. Let's test it. And if it works, we're like, cool, it works. It solved the problem. Can't really argue with that. If it doesn't work, we're both kind of like, okay, now we know, but at least we feel like we got a fair hearing. Yeah. Right? 100%. That's, that is the ultimate arbiter. Like I, I think that if I, we were to test something and I hated it and you loved it. I feel like I would be that could do damage to my sanity because we have <laughs> almost not even run into that problem. Like almost every time something's a bad idea and it doesn't work out well, neither we both know that there's something wrong. And if, even if you kind of get a kick out of it and I think it's like, you know, nebulous, eventually down the line, one of us will be proven right, right or wrong. It's like, you know, which it br kind of brings us to, another way that you need to be able to handle creative disputes because you don't want to be coming up on a deadline and ha be in the middle of one of these disagreements. You need to utilize time management. Now, we are fortunate. We are, at the very least, we are still babes in the wood when it comes to this because we don't have deadlines yet, like true, honest-to-God deadlines, quite yet like all of our timetables are still fluctuating when are we going to launch the kickstarter well and you know we've been if if we had stuck to our original plan the kickstarter would be behind us but it would have probably also failed <laughs> um but once we actually have printed materials and people know our game and they're expecting the next product we're going to have to tell them you can expect it at this point and we're going to have to actually like come to all of these all the decisions that go into making the next iteration of the game you know, with that deadline in mind right now, we don't have that. And it's proven to be very helpful because sometimes I think I said earlier, we were talking earlier. Sometimes you have to sit with an idea for a while. I'll say this. There have been ideas that I have pitched to you that 
you didn't necessarily shut down, but you wanted to find another solution. You were like, I, I, that sounds like it'll work, but I also don't want to go there right away. And we work on other solutions and we sit with other solutions for a while. And sometimes we actually come back to that original idea that I pitched. And I think you've done the same. It's, you could say the same to me. I'm sure there's been things I've been resistant to and hesitant about at first that only time would tell. So, you know, I mean, it took you months to get the final quest to work the way you wanted it to. <laughs> Patience, my friend. Patience. I'm still not 100% convinced on it, but I'm not willing to poke that bear because I'm like, well, as long as no one's complaining about it, I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think it's like just a slight head scratcher the first time they hear about it. But um, let's see. Quite train and truth has been that many ideas. You know, and, and I think that's the big thing, though. It's Were like, you just speaking in tongues? No, I was reading. <laughs> well, just I, was reading I was reading my notes. Uh, <laughs> okay. I was reading through my notes really fast. And and I, I, but I do think that that's like the big thing. It's like you want to you need to give yourself enough time to try out multiple options to make the best product possible. And you can't, you know, like Danny said, even if you think just talking through an idea, it's a good idea. You don't know until you play test it. And you're probably not even going to know the first time, the second time, or the third time you play tested it. It's probably going to take, you know, three or four times. You know, we've had our game being proven to be completely broken. We've seen it broken in front of us, and it still took us like weeks to react to it. Uh, aside from the final quest um, sequencing, um, you know, it's so crazy because there's just so many things. I mean, replacing meditate with barter was something that, you know, took a long time to get to. I wasn't necessarily fully resistant to it. It was more like I was resistant to just adding another, um, heroic feat. Yeah. Um, we're kind of at a one in one out at that since we already have what five total. And that's like kind of pushing what we think people their bandwidth. Honestly, I think that the fact that I can't recall a ton of these examples is a good, um, illustration of why we're, good partners we don't really keep score yeah like we we actually actively go out of our way to muddy the waters so that you know at the end of the day we're focused on on the product and uh, at the end of the day you know when people ask it's like i, I don't know we did this together it's what works we're not gonna overthink it because at the end of the day like no one idea makes a great product right like maybe you had a great idea but like the execution and the idea are two different things and you have to collaborate with other people and get other people's, you know, fingerprints on it and develop it together to get to anything that's worth, you know, bringing out to the world. And I don't know the whole idea of authorship, like even I'm not even a hundred percent sure I'm the author of my own ideas. That's true because like most of your ideas are inspired uh, by what you just see in the real, real world. It's like, um, I'd even, okay, I'm even going to call myself out um, during the bin episode, the interview episode. Go back and listen to that. I think it should have been, what, two weeks ago at this point? Yeah. 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 The bin Mertz episode. Uh, I was listening back to it. And early in the episode, he mentioned that one of his students had created a thrift game about finding the best style for you. <laughs> and then when we played his meta game, I pitched an idea for a thrift store game. And at the time, I didn't realize that I was probably just pulling out that most recent example. Now, granted, I, I mean, I don't know how that person's thrift store game played. I really want to play it now. Uh, I was, you yeah, know, I might I even want to trying, publish it. I was just trying to uh, <laughs> figure, yeah, but we can't, I can't be called out for plagiarism if we buy it, right? <laughs> 
But I was just, I think I was just like scooping my brain and it was in my, you know, like the RAM of my mind, the, the like most recent thing I had heard and it aligned with what Ben had presented with me. So my brain went right there. So, you know, that's just how the creativity works. But I, I don't know, like I said, I don't know how that person's game plays, but I still was without, with just taking the theme of thrift store, I was still trying to add onto it and in possibly a different way than they had. You know, um, I kind of go back to like the idea of com comedians and jokes, and they often say you, you can't say somebody stole your joke just because they have the same premise, because premises are just what we walk through life, you know, being presented. If you stand in, if you've stood in line at Chipotle and had thoughts about the experience, you are developing probably one of a, you know, a dozen Chipotle line jokes that comedians have. Uh, you know, got into. And as long as you take it a different direction, that's the important part. How many Chipotle line jokes have you heard? Uh, you know, uh, I just, I've, I've only heard that it's a trope amongst uh, comedians. I think I've heard two or three myself, but I know that there's a, a YouTube comedian who goes by, oh, I cannot blank on this. I, I got to look up her name really quick and it's totally blanking on me because I love her and she's great. Um, I think it's, I just want to make sure I get her whole name. Chipotle yeah. jokes that seems so uh interesting to me I would never have thought that that was like a there's a YouTube comedian, a trend yeah YouTube comedian named Gabby Bell who's delightful Bell. she is so hilarious and uh wonderful in her the topics that she covers it's not like everybody else but she she uses that as her go-to example for a premise it's like if uh, her her argument she was making a, a was it a, a women in comedy argument it's like you know if guys can go to Chipotle and make an entire stand-up set out of like standing in line at Chipotle, why can't women? Because she was like specifically looking at a couple of female comedians who had made their uh, careers on being very lurid and sexually explicit. So I, I, you know, while we're, while we're while we're shouting out comedians, I would like to shout out somebody that I am a fan of. Her name is Maddie Smith. I don't know if anyone has heard of Maddie, but I really find her hilarious. She's on Wild and Out a lot, uh, which is odd. I did not expect to see her there, but I saw her a lot on YouTube and am, you know, oh, quite Maddie, the fan. Maddie Smith, that's with D's, right? Yeah. M -A -D -D -Y. Have, you, have you have you been exposed to Maddie before? No, I'm going to I'm going to watch some of her stuff when we finish up here. Yeah, it's totally worth it. She's very funny. Uh, if she's on T, you know, if she's on Wild and Out, I hope I maybe she'll hear on her. Uh, hear her on podcast or something soon. I wouldn't be surprised if I've already, already have heard her on podcast. And I just haven't realized it. Um, anyways, but to get back to the topic at hand, I think we were pretty much about to round out this list. I think that the biggest final thing to remember uh, that I'm going to go into is compromise and collaborate. There's now this can go a lot of different ways when it comes to what compromise means to your project. Um, but I think there was a really specific example that I wanted to point to because sometimes, sometimes like you need to express why an idea is important to you and, and, um, and why you're, you know, understand why an idea is important to your uh, partner and then figure out a way that those two can meet. And there was a bit of a, co a conversation that we had over the art for eternal lantern. This might actually be good for us to bring this up on screen. So, Will, if, I, if you haven't gotten it yet and you're at this point in the editing process, please tell me to send you Eternal Lantern so we can talk about it. <laughs> but so my original pitch for this card art and what I wrote in the design brief was 
the idea that I wanted it to be the lantern was being held by a skeleton, uh, like, you know, a skeleton who had been like obviously caught in a trap, a man who, a man or person who had been caught in a trap and they died. Skeleton? A skeleton. Yeah. Well, how do you, a skeleton? Skeleton. A skeleton. 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 Uh, I think I, 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 skeleton. I, prefer, I prefer skeleton. Anyways. I think that's pretty cool. I like that too. So uh, anyway, you're talking about the waifus. Yes. Uh, so, the, uh, so, <laughs> So the idea is like a person has been caught in a trap. It is now decades, if not a century later, they are just bones. They died, perished, but they're still holding onto the lantern and the lantern's still burning. And that was like my initial concept. And the important thing that I wanted to show was this person, you know, while the person passed away, like, you know, obviously interacting with the lantern, the lantern is still going, but you had a little bit of an issue because you felt that was, I believe you said too mundane of a thing for a magical item to be used for the eternal lantern couldn't just be used to light somebody's way. Yeah. I felt as though if you have a legendary relic that people are searching for, it can't just be like, Oh, this is a flashlight that can never goes out. Like people would find that underwhelming in my opinion. So we came up with a whole mythology for, you know, how the (laughs) lantern gives people guidance to go to other places to find other things. Um, And the way we chose to depict that was it had these magical runes that it would project out onto walls that could be interpreted. But if you look directly at it, you ended up as a skeleton. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Basically uh, once, once Danny started coming up with that idea and we were trying to figure out like why somebody would die looking at it. I, uh, you know, I, don't want to brag, but I recently listened to a podcast that read the entirety of Infinite Jest, the uh, <laughs> like 1100 page book um, that is very, very long, but a little rewarding. I would say listen to it in podcast form. It's really fun. It's called The Infinite Cast if you want to do that. But uh, in Infinite Jest, if you don't know, there's a uh, an entertainment or a well, it's called the entertainment. Basically, a movie so entertaining that you, if you start watching it, you can't stop. And if even if it's taken away from you, you're not going to want anything. You're not going to want for anything but to watch it. So basically, if they took the movie away from you, they would have to feed you through tubes for the rest of your life because you wouldn't Do even bother eating. Do they talk about what what the movie entails? Like what? Or is it just they like, hint if- at it? They hint at it, like you, you know, you know a couple of elements. You know, like like, like what? Um, it stars Joelle Van Dyne, and she's plays a mother who is standing over a crib, and it is shot with a very wobbly lens that gives it a very interesting look. And she's sitting over the crib, apologizing to you for all the evil she did to you in the past life, and that you, are, she is now your mother. So basically, she's apologizing for uh, you being born. Why do people want to watch that? Why do, uh, well, it's not that they want to watch it. It's just that when they start watching it, they have to watch it forever. It's suggested in the movie that a special lens technology was developed to make the movie that has a, a like a psychological effect as well. Oh. So there's there's like elements. There's like a few layers of elements, but it's not like one of those things where it's just like somebody made something so shocking. And we're not going to tell you anything that's in it. They actually kind of like lay out what you would see if you were to watch the entertainment. I feel but, like that's a good idea. Yeah. Um, Not the entertainment, but like the idea that you would at least give someone a hint as to what this thing mm -hmm. is. I think, I think that's one of the reasons it actually works. Uh, You know, the book actually works. I think if he hadn't explained anything about the entertainment, I think people would have, you know, just thrown the book across the room as I'm sure it's been thrown across the room many times. Uh, Anyways, but to go back to it, once 
I could relate the concept of the lantern being very much like the entertainment where somebody looks at it and they're transfixed to the point where they'll just like die where they're sitting. And we were able to still put a, a skeleton into the sea. Uh, I thought it, it just clicked. And I think that that goes to show sometimes if you're in disagreement with your creative partner, sometimes you need to take a step back and both of you, if both of you can agree that neither of you have the right idea, then you can push past it and find that correct idea. Because uh, I think you were you were trying to meet me halfway with a compromise uh, for the, how the Eternal Lantern could still have like um, this decaying corpse in it. But I was not very satisfied with your those, those early solutions that you found. Uh, because I really wanted it. I, I had a probably too specific uh, specific of a composition in my mind uh, with the with the bone hand holding the lantern close. But once 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 we agreed that it was like this is not the answer, and we really started talking and collaborating about what the lore of this lantern was, is when we were actually able to push through and create one of my favorite arts that we've gotten yeah, so far. You can imagine that. If you had just said, I want to have uh, this art of a skeleton holding a lantern. And I was like, well, I want this lantern to be, you know, floating magically and putting images out onto the walls. And, you know, we just went back and forth and back and forth and never took the time to actually understand what we were trying to accomplish with these compositions. We would never realize, oh, actually, both elements can coexist in the same image and scratch those itches because we're just caught up on, you know, what the person is saying, not what they're meaning or what their underlying interest is. So it's super important to always really dig in and understand what is important. And I think one of the other things that you said, which highlights one of the biggest things I would say about when you're working with a creative partner and encounter creative differences and have to learn how to overcome them is, if you're entrenched in something and they're entrenched in something and you're both just like adamant, like these, neither my solution is not going to work for you. Your solution is not going to work for me. At that point, you owe it to each other to find another way. There is a way that you both can feel comfortable with. Deconstruct what you want, what is important to you in terms of what you want to see and what you don't want to see and do the same with your partner. Put those all up and you have minimum viable product. Mm -hmm. Solve it. Yeah, exactly. If anything, that'll like really help you, you know, solidify or, you know, strip away all the ideas that weren't important and just get down to the idea that is important. And once you, and then it could, Hey, who knows, baby, it could be like peanut butter and chocolate at that point. You know what your idea, what my idea were, they weren't mutually exclusive. They came together very well. Peanut butter and KY jelly. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that poor woman. I, I really want to give her a hug. I, I pray for her. Um, so yeah, that, that was a, that was a cruel joke you played under Joel, <laughs> you know, Hey, you, a woman comes up to you and asks you about jelly in the store. You just, you know, how was I supposed to know she was looking for something to eat? <laughs> I love the percentage of the audience. So it's like saying to being like, did Joel really feed a woman KY jelly or no kick shaming? No kick shaming. <laughs> All right, Danny, 
I think we've we've talked probably too much about this. I do hope yeah, yeah. Will sees to editing us down just a little bit on this topic because there was a lot to cover here. But if, if for the people who might have phased out during the conversation, you know, sort of are just coming back into full, you know, fully focused on what we're having to say, what would you tell them were the important points that we got to today? Yeah, just a few key takeaways. So be respectful. Make sure everyone feels they can communicate even half-baked ideas without the fear of ridicule. Align frequently. Uh, make sure that you're on the same page and pursuing the same objectives and goals. Back to ideas. All ideas are welcome. Some percentage of stupid ideas are actually great ideas. Test ideas when possible to see if they are viable rather than arguing about their hypothetical application. Mm-hmm. Take time to fully understand your partner's ideas and their criteria for a viable solution. And when reaching an impasse between existing ideas, find a mutually agreeable alternative. Nice. Yeah, I completely sign off on all of those. And so if you have a creative partner out there, please, please, you know, learn how to communicate with them. And if it, I I would also say, like, if you find somebody who you're vibing with as a creative partner and you can develop ideas with, if your current idea doesn't work, if the project doesn't quite go, don't think that that means that you two are failures. You you got something out of that. You learned something. You learned how to communicate with each other. You, you're going to know like what the pitfall is for next time. And also a lot of projects just, you know, it it's hard to get something to the finish line. And sometimes you both have to agree like, oh, this is this one isn't going. And like I said, we will talk more about those sorts of ideas in our series on our past film projects. Um, and you can expect those to be sporadic whenever we miss an episode, <laughs> miss recording an episode, we'll pull those out of the vault for you. Um, so let's see. So for next time though, let's move into looking forward to next week. And this might sound like some deja vu to you real quick, but on the next episode, we are supposed to have Bryant Polanco. Am I saying that right? Yeah. Brian Polanco. Brian Polanco, and he's going to walk us through the TCG space and clue us in on some of the new games coming out. I think specifically we could probably say that we'll talk about Alpha Clash at least and uh, maybe see where Magic the Gathering's at in his perspective. Um, This week we weren't able to fully uh, record with him because of uh, microphone issues. Like he didn't quite have a mic that was capable of capturing his full presence. But we've ironed that out, and he's going to be ready to record next week. So um, before we do anything else, let me remind you that you should subscribe to our channel. We said something. If you're still with us, we said something that resonated with you. I guarantee it. And isn't that worth one like? It even rewards you for liking. If you're on YouTube and you like, boom, confetti. They want you to press that button. I want you to press that button. And there's another button right next to it, the subscribe button. You don't want to miss any of this. We're just hitting our stride right now and we're getting off the rails. You know we're going to say something that's going to put us on the front page soon enough, maybe for the wrong reasons. And Yeah. yeah I mean, typically <laughs> everything is for the wrong reasons, right? Yeah. And if you really like us, if you really like us, you can ring that bell on YouTube so you can get the podcast when it's hot and fresh. Be the first if, one to make or make comments about how wrong the information was. Yeah. And if you don't, you'll end up a skeleton. Yes. You don't want to be a skeleton. Those things. I mean, eventually we are all destined to be skeletons. That is true. You don't want to be one right now. So ring that, that bell. Ring it. 
All right, Danny. Uh, I was going to say, hey, we've had a long day. We've done a lot of talking. We had a two-hour meeting before this. I think this podcast is easily uh, probably hitting that two-hour mark right about now. So that's four hours of talking. That's a lot of talking. But we do have to get to something, don't we? Yeah, we have to. And I've got a good one. And it will be a short one this week. All right. Okay. It's a little game. I don't know that it's a fully thought out game, but what did we say? No stupid ideas, right? You have to you have to throw them out no matter what stage of development they're in. No, I guess I get to be the judge of that, you know. Okay, so we've talked a lot about differences today. Okay. So I want to talk about things that are the same. All right. So I'm going to name two things, and okay. you tell me how they're the same. I already like this game. Okay. It seems like a game for a second grader, so it's right up my alley. <laughs> okay. Pancakes and kneecaps. Pancakes and kneecaps. I mean, you can, you can eat both with syrup. Um, <laughs> what? I was going to say the, the, the best I got is that they both bend. Like, I could pick up a pancake and bend it in the same way a kneecap does well i guess the kneecap doesn't bend the knee bends the kneecap is just part of the bending mechanism yeah so you got to come up with a different answer there Uh, i guess they're both about the same size it depends on the size of the pancake okay 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 there is no like definitive answer to this oh okay well thank you (laughs) i guess let's you you giving us your your take on how you see the world okay the last well i'm not going to say necessarily definitively last thing if you were to take them away from a child, they'd probably start crying. <laughs> yeah, I would agree with that. Okay. That one, that one, that one, that one's up to stuff. There, here's the next one. Tooth decay and petting zoos. Yeah, I think it's fortunate for me. I haven't had that much tooth decay in my time. So I'm, I'm like more thinking to other people <laughs> expressing tooth pain. I really thought you were going to say, fortunately for me, I haven't spent that much time in petting suits. I, I, th- I also would say that might be true. I, I You know what? I probably owe it to my soul to go to a petting zoo sooner rather than later. Because I can't remember the last time I was at one. Um, you know, if you get there, they both might require some form of extraction. What kind of destruction are you required from a petting zoo? Well, you know, those goats are damn cute. And, you know, they're not just going to come home with you, you know, if you ask politely. So um, I have no idea what you're alluding to there. (laughs) Goat snatching. Goat snatching? Goat snatching, yeah. So the extraction is you extracting a goat from the petting zoo? Yeah. Cute ass goat. Bring it home. I'm sure I have some tin cans laying around that I could chew on. Um, let's see if there's anything else that I could think of, like a tooth decay and petting zoo. I guess they both are saccharine sweet. I, I don't really know how to process that answer. Like I, I, you're, 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 you're saying like, I need to know what the flavor of tooth decay and petting zoos is and that no, they're both sweet. I think I was just imagining that the sweetness gets you into tooth decay and petting zoos are sweet. You know, okay. Sugar, sugar will probably be the death of your teeth, right? Yeah, I'll, I'll allow it. Primarily because uh, I want to move away from this like illusion uh, to you taking goats and bringing them to your home. I need just, just for petting purposes. I don't want the petting to end at the zoo. Yeah, petting purposes is what I was worried about. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. 
All right, Danny, what's the next one? I don't know how heavy you're going to get. Look, uh, okay, big game hunting. Yeah. And edible underwear. When big game hunting and edible underwear are on the table, you're really hoping to some big uh, okay, we're going to have to bleep the heck out of that because this is a family podcast. What? I didn't sign off on that. Creative difference. <laughs> yeah. Well, Danny, was there anything else you wanted to, add, to think talk about today before we go? Just a healthy reminder to Will to bleep that last part of something random. All right, Danny. Well, this has been Danny and I have been Joel. And I just want to remind you that you must start somewhere. So why not here? Yeah, I think there's better places to start. Theme music by James Hilden, produced and edited by William Wymore. <laughs>